Welcome back to another episode of Ultra Hope Girls, a Danganronpa podcast. We are so excited to talk about what is considered one of the best cases in Danganronpa history today. And we just, we have so much content to cover, so we're going to get going. Just so you guys know, this episode will spoil through Chapter 5, Goodbye Despair. And without further ado, I'm Maddie. I'm Marin. And I'm Caroline. And we're the Ultra Hope Girls. One. Welcome to the Danganronpa Podcast. You're on the threshold of an amazing episode. Showtime. This is the episode where Nagito gets the traitor to kill him through his ultimate luck. That's the best way I can describe that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, where, where are the words for everything that happens in this chapter, right? Yeah. I know. Yeah. Oh, I don't know man. how he planned that. Oof. Before we get into this episode, we just want to give a content warning. Uh, in this chapter, you know the events that happen. So we're going to be touching a little bit on self-harm and on suicide in this chapter. So if that is not something you're comfortable listening to, feel free to skip ahead to the last five minutes where we'll, we will get into our classic bed, wed, behead. But yeah, just giving you all a heads up and enjoy the episode. Jeez. Wow. I just, well, I will just start and say this chapter is so good. Oh yep. my God. Like replaying this, I was like, wow, this chapter is so good. Like I just, uh, I'm excited to talk about it. I'm so excited. Yeah. Oh, I have so much to say about what you just said about how this chapter, it, it, it like, it is every, you know, duck is in a row. Like everything <laughs> is planned so well. And it's so feasible though, because of the person who did it. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that. Absolutely. Okay. So my, I, I tried to like sort of scatter some plot summary. So the first thing I have is that Minimaru <laughs> is the thing that it happens. And then the crowd is like, that's mine. so strange i feel like i didn't love that it was made and also kazuichi like laughs at all of them when it comes out he's like ha 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 i made this little robot friend but like i don't know it was just so rude and like not at all how you handle grief like yes everyone handles grief differently but they were all like oh my goodness our dead friend is back and he was like ha no (laughs) oh my god yeah and he like took parts from Nekomaru's dead body to make it. I was like, it's kind of messed up. He was trying to impress Sonia, and I said, Listen, (laughs) not the way to a woman's heart, brother. Let me tell you, I tried it (laughs) once. That doesn't work. Oh my gosh. Also, um, how did he get Nekomaru's voice to come out of that thing? Did he have like Nekomaru record some pre programmed things? I don't even know. Yeah, I guess Akane <laughs> liked it. That's a pro. Yeah, Akane seemed her like she liked it. But yeah, everyone yeah. else is like, and uh, myself included. When I was playing the game, I was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, I also I liked I liked when it would like speak up throughout the game. I did funny. like it. Yeah. I was just like, "Bro, you handled this in a really poor way of like saying, hey guys, I made our friend again.'" My next thing is that Hajime basically confirms the fact that he's a reserve course student and tells everyone else and nagito before had said like ew you're beneath me you scum of the earth but everyone else is like okay man that's cool like (laughs) it's not a big deal and like 
it it makes me sort of question because everyone around him like up to this point like now that he's sort of come out as like the reserve course student everyone is like reacting very positively to it very accepting but he internally is still like beating himself up over it and it makes me kind of start to question Hajime's background like you know does he come from a rich family or is there a lot expected from him at home by his parents that that has been pressed upon him in in his life I, I don't know if we'll ever really know but or is it self-imposed? Is it something that he just struggles with? And in that case, him and Nagito have a lot in common in that way because they're both very self-deprecative of their place in life. And also with, it's it's very interesting to watch the other kids react to him being talentless because even a little bit later in the chapter, some of them bring up how his lack of a talent gives him more freedom. And so it's almost a jealous sense in some way, which is absolutely bizarre because I mean like I think for for most players we all think like what would my talent be like oh wow like I wish I had a talent or something like that I mean literally we call ourselves um like ultimate nurse and stuff yeah (laughs) but it's interesting because sometimes having a lot of options is the better path and what if you know what if I was born the ultimate skier to our listeners I don't like skiing so what if I was born that you know And yeah, I didn't like it, but I kind of had to do it because I was so good at it. I just think like maybe Hajime doesn't appreciate the freedom that he's, he's been given through that. To that point, Hajime could also be jealous of the fact that others have a clear sense of direction of a purpose of what they're supposed to do. Whereas he is, you know, he has all the options available to him, whereas that is freedom. And that is something that I think, you know, as he grows up, he'll be thankful that that is how he is he wasn't like bound to a certain lifestyle but as a high schooler is wandering and trying to find who he is and who like like the person he is having a label of something that you are is something that is attractive to a lot of people because it gives them a clear path yeah and I just have more breakdown of Chiaki's point here that she talks about how having a talent is means you're bound to it and that your life is chosen for you and we had talked before about how the second game characters feel like people who are their talents rather than people and that makes so much sense now that she brought that up because I feel like that was intended maybe by the designers of the characters because this is a very big theme in this chapter and in this game like I think and I think it's why in the end Chiaki is able to trust in Nagito's luck because in the end his luck is more reliable than everyone else's because it is his literal identity (laughs) It is literally what he's bound to. So yeah, I think that's interesting. So the first place that I visited was the Sea King Industries place um, where Kazuichi was hanging. And it was very weird. This whole island, I got a very Ready Player One vibe from it. I don't know if you guys... Yeah, that's um, a book made into a movie. Um, So obviously I'm referencing the visual movie here. But yeah, very... That was was exactly what I thought when I first saw it. But um, at Seeking Industries, they were making very humanoid robots there. And it kind of pulled up the question for me like what if the kids are robots like I was like why are they showing me this yeah so that was my my thought there I don't know if you guys feel similarly but there's a moment when when you're with Kazuichi in that like factory place and he's summarizing literally the events of the tragedy from game one as if it's like a a manga 
And I do, I appreciate the Danganronpa writer's sense of humor. They like are just fine with making fun of themselves because the whole time Kazuichi is out here like summarizing the plot of Danganronpa and being like, wow, this story is trash. Like they need to get a better (laughs) plot. (laughs) I think one of his quotes is, um, whoever wrote this needs to come up with better story ideas because this wasn't realistic at all. (laughs) I was like, oh my goodness, Danganronpa. Um, He also makes a Death Note reference. Yeah! in that moment yeah he's like wow that's even cheesier than like writing someone's name in a book and then them dying or something like that yeah I was like oh man yeah yeah I really love Death Note by the way if anyone has not watched it you absolutely should so okay so up next is the Jabberwock army and there there were just a couple things that I noticed for one it was very interesting to see a place filled with weapons um, as a location that you could travel to because yes we find out that the bombs are fake so like okay they aren't real but there was a working plane a working tank as we see later in the execution working cars that were driven other places and it was just I don't know it was kind of interesting Also, the fact that that one truck got moved into the factory means that it either A, had an engine, or B, was pushed all the way there by Nagito. So I'm just wondering if they missed an engine. Like, I feel like Kazuichi would have jumped on that chance, maybe. Anyways, but the plane. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, because the planes, when they find the um, the planes, like, at the airport on the first island, they're like, oh, there are no engines, blah, blah, blah. But, like, this time around, it's the first time that they're coming to this island. So I guess maybe they it did, they didn't think to check for something like that, because they were already like, oh, well, all the engines are gone. We can't leave. Like, maybe they just weren't thinking about that. Right, which is super interesting, because Hajime talks about how that plane is the plane that was used in the execution of Teru Teru. So clearly it flies, or it did. (laughs) And so it's like, they just gave up on their immediate release. I don't know. But um, I wanted to talk about that plane because of the mouth that was painted on it. Um, And I did a little bit of research. I would like to shout out the book, The History of Aircraft Nose Art, World War One to Today, because in it... (laughs) It talks a little bit about um, plane art, and it was first used to identify friendly units, so people would like paint on symbols of home that, you know, then you wouldn't shoot down your friend, Um, but the practice evolved to, quote, express the individuality often constrained by the uniformity of the military to evoke memories of home and peacetime life as the kind of psychological protection against the stresses of war and the probability of death. And I really think that's interesting when you consider even Teru Teru's execution, because why why did he commit that murder? Well, it was to go home. It was to find peace um, and kind of protect Mm -hmm. himself against, if you will, the stresses of the probability of death. I mean, it's literally exactly... Why? And then also to kind of bring that plane back into here, I think it's just another reminder. I mean, granted, I think a lot of people don't know what plane mouth art is, and I certainly didn't until I looked it up, but it's kind of a little poke at just reminding everyone that like everyone's kind of um, masking the stress, the underlying terrible anxiety that all this is causing. I have a quote from Sonia 
that I really loved from this section um, that came up. I think you probably know what it's going to be. Um, but she said that weapons are only weapons when a human starts to use them. And I was like, amen, sister. That is so yeah. true. And that is one, like every morality conversation we've ever had is like, you could not do it. It was only a <laughs> yes. you did it, bro. <laughs> And it's also interesting to think about like later, and I think we'll talk about this whenever we get to the trial a little bit more, but like who the weapon was in this case, like, is it the person who actually killed the dead person or was it the person who set up everything for the person to kill him? Like that, you know, that really surrounds. Yeah. We will definitely have some discussions on (laughs) that. (laughs) I have some very strong feelings. I think Um, that this (laughs) chapter as a whole does a really good job of portraying Sonia in a little bit of a new light because Sonia is someone who like up until now has been pretty lighthearted you know she she kind of keeps everyone's spirits up and as Chris Turgley-Affera said dances through Gundam's walls and I think everyone else is I know too cute but (laughs) but now we're starting to see like I think as the conflict deepens and deepens and gets more serious she's starting to take on a little bit more of a leader role um and I think it really comes out in this chapter I mean she drops so many lines like that like what Caroline said yeah I just my gal yeah and Sonia tries to blow up the ruins like she does that she out here (laughs) (laughs) for sure yeah Mad respect well, she's lost for her. Gundam. She has nothing left to lose. So she's just all in out here. Don't remind me. Don't remind me about chapter four. My heart can't my take heart. it. Um, so my note about the factory <laughs> is about a moment that just left me really shook when I was playing this game because, okay, so when I play games like this, my style usually of gameplay is to check out when you're exploring or whatever and you want to like click what you're clicking on to decide what to explore my style is to check out the smaller areas first and then save the biggest best one for last like if you're in a room and there's a door and you can go through the door to see what's next or you can look like in this pot or like in this tree like I'm gonna look in the pot and the tree first before I go through the door like I just I like to do the little things first you know because I don't want to miss anything and um when you're exploring the factory for the first time, if you click on the warehouse door to try and explore there before going into the main factory building, Chiaki stops you and literally says, hey, Hajime, you're the kind of person who waits until the very end to eat their favorite food, aren't you? And then makes you go in the factory. And I felt like a little, like it was a little unnerving how much I felt personally called out when Chiaki said that. I was like, Chiaki is speaking to me, Maddie, as a human person, like playing this game, I was like, oh my <laughs> God, like it was a little eerie. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's one other location, which is like that little like food stall market, which is so random. And I really didn't like it. I was like, why is this here? Like, couldn't we have just met in the cafeteria or something? Like, I don't know. I thought they could have utilized that place it's a little bit weird. more. I think it's aesthetically the most interesting place on that island, but it's never, we never go back there. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like one and done. Hidden Monokuma that's eating noodles. I also have that it, th- at this location, uh, Fuyuhiko brings up the idea that Monokuma and Monami might not be working together, which I thought was interesting. And he also says that maybe Future Foundation is, quote, our ally. 
Yeah, I think there's a big theme of yeah. like, is the enemy of my enemy my friend? Oh, and yeah. I think the kids are kind of feeling like, I don't know, like against both and sometimes against one, sometimes like, I don't know, sometimes against each other. Like talk about being alone. I don't think they have anyone really they can trust. I was going to say, so I just made this connection, but I'm rewatching The Office right now. And I just watched that episode where Michael thinks for half an episode that the Stamford branch is going to like take over the Scranton branch. And he just starts acting like so chaotically because like he you know because he's like doesn't have a job anymore so he's like all right like nothing matters and that's kind of how Nagito feels this entire chapter like but I don't know I don't know what he knows <laughs> as to why he's acting so chaotically but it feels like he, he's like gonna be fired and he's put in his two weeks and now he's just like all right everybody <laughs> that is the best thing I've ever heard that's like, the best Nagito, analogy Nagito? I've ever Michael's heard <laughs> yeah yeah, I this moment it's like it's very intense. I mean, Nagito is out here like he makes a show of this, you know, like he his quote he literally right before the the bomb drops <laughs> literally. He says, "Now then, let's begin the beginning of the end of Jabberwock Island," which I thought might be a cool title quote, but that's beside the point. Just <laughs> just throwing it out there, just one option. But um yeah, it's like, holy moly. Um, and then boom, explosion. Also parallels to game one, chapter five, um, the explosion. And in this case, instead of Toko being thrown to the side and exploded, um, it's Kazuichi, which is very like accurate because we've already talked a little bit about some similarities between Kazuichi and Toko, um, which is kind of interesting. That like burning picture, a uh, burning picture, the picture of the fire behind Nagito when he's got like crazy eye. It really reminded me of in um, Star Wars, the the third one or, you know, the last prequel when <laughs> he and Obi-Wan are like fighting and Obi-Wan's like, Anakin, I have the higher ground. <laughs> Straight up. Okay. I knew there were no, there was no bomb from the beginning that was going to blow up the whole island because I said, Nagito, sir, unless you have an atomic bomb, there is no way. Like, that is, like, so... That would be, like, you would have to put multiple bombs in different places. Yeah, I guess I suspended my disbelief a little bit, and I thought that in Jabberwock Park, I thought that that was a bomb. And so I was like, maybe he'll just use that. You know, like, that to me was big enough to destroy the island, you know? Um, Yeah. I don't know. Or, like destroying the island maybe he didn't literally mean like blowing up the landmass like there's a chance he meant blowing up the bridges or destroying oh, the central yes. island and then you're trapped in one and you would die at some point <laughs> you <Yeah>. know like <laughs> or like splitting them up and then exploding all the bridges Ooh, wow that would have oh, been interesting man, Oof. god yeah Boink, Scoob. <laughs> yeah so Nagito is talking about how he's going to blow up the island, whatever. And someone says that it's against the rules to do that because you can't kill more than two students at one time. And Monokuma says it's fine because saying you'll, you'll break the rules isn't breaking them. And that is very different than our society today because in society, you can't scream fire in a movie theater and get away with it. That's against the law. And so it's very 
chaotic and very different. And just the idea that it's okay to say, um, yeah, I, it's just interesting. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. I actually have a, I want to talk about it later though, but now and a similar analysis to like how the U S handles judicial things versus. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's pretty commonplace worldwide that you can't just say whatever you want and like crowded areas and cause chaos yeah. like that that is yeah because it's like it's like freedom of speech but it's like the clear and present danger thing right i think is how they call it it's like if your speech is a hazard to the safety of people around you right then that's a problem you know like but the um yeah i do think that's interesting because monokuma i mean according to monokuma punishment equals execution like that's the only there's no in between it's like either nothing's going on or you break the rules and you are executed for your crime and so it's not like and he said like oh yeah like killing more than two students is technically against the rules but like if Nagito were to blow up the entire island and kill everyone all at once technically like he's not going to be punished for it if he's taking himself out with everyone else you know (laughs) right you can't kill someone twice (laughs) (laughs) yeah I just had a very brief note about Nezumi Castle and um, the wording of the message that they find scratched out in the floor. To all subjects, the password to guide everyone to the future is dot, 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 and then password scratched out. But um, when it says to all subjects, I just thought that was an interesting choice of word. And it made me think of like subjects in an experiment. Like, you know, I, I do like research mm. and psychology and stuff. And um sometimes the like participants in the studies are referred to as subjects and I don't like that I think it's dehumanizing I I don't like the term subjects um I prefer the term participants but it is like a it is a term very strongly connected at least for me to like research and experiments and so that was just interesting to me the only reason I would not have thought of that is because it's in a castle in a fairy tale land and that's what yeah you know call you know that's my subjects Hello, you know, so the, yeah. I love that. the theme for me. Yeah, so like very different take on the word. That's really interesting. Subjects. That's so interesting. <laughs> I love that. This is why there's three of us. We we all got different ways in the world. True. True. My loyal True. royal subjects. Subject. Exactly. So that password on the floor, I could see that it said 11037. And I recognize that has no meaning to them. But I knew that it was that before it was even said, I was like, Leon. So when I played the second game, I had watched the first anime, I think, like, five years prior to me playing the second game. So it'd been a while. And so then I got 11037 at the end of the of this chapter. And I was like, wow, cool man and i hadn't i didn't remember <laughs> the reference because it had been so long so. so it was like if the password was like two zero zero seven two like <laughs> it had no meaning to me i was like okay cool man i love that <laughs> So another thing from the castle, the last thing I have is that at the very end of that scene, Kazuichi leaves in the opposite direction of Sonia and they are very upset at one another. And I think that that, well, I mean, Sonia's always been upset at Kazuichi. That's not a surprise, but the fact that Kazuichi makes the conscious choice to walk away is very, very telling about like how stressed they are and and anxious, which is, I, I mean, I've said this before already in this episode, but I think it really comes out here. I thought that was like a very important moment as well. Like it was 
like the group is falling apart at the seams and it really stands out in that moment because like Akane is running off like furious. Sonia is like really frustrated and stomps away. Kazuichi stomps away, blah, blah, blah. Hajime is like, wait, guys, oh my God, what are we doing? And even Fuyuhiko is like, uh, I think I'm going to go investigate on my own. Like, you know, doesn't stick around. And it's just like, it, it, the group, you can feel the despair in this group of students. And honestly, I felt like the only person, like the glue that was holding the group together in that moment was Chiaki in my opinion. Chiaki's saving Akane from like damning herself to execution. Like she, like Maddie said, literally the glue holding the screw group together because it's chaos right now. It is this whole chapter. And I also, I have a couple notes about this moment. One of them is a question. Do you guys think that Akane would actually have killed Nagito if Chiaki hadn't stopped her? I think she would have only because I think that they're they're all at a point right now where it's it feels like at least the way she handles trauma is fight. <laughs> we have seen this. We got fight, flight, freeze, fawn. I actually have that as a note to talk about. Um, and she fights. And I think that she would go all the way, considering everything that's going on. I think she's very traumatized, very hurt. And I think that she would just blindly, I think she would, would have. But not like in a way of like, wanting to actually murder a person but i think she would do it not knowing her own strength i think she would not um i don't i think that she would want to or not that she would want to but that she would kind of like what caroline was saying kind of get lost in the moment like in a maybe ragey sense but i don't think she would have killed him because that is not what nagito's goal was and we have seen now countless times that nagito's luck pretty much allows him to do whatever he wants and he had not yet found the traitor and so i think Maybe this is a little bit of a cop-out, but I think that no, she would not have killed him because Nagito's luck was stronger than Akane's rage at the moment. Hmm. Well, luck is his whole identity. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know how I felt about that. I was like, wow, do I think she actually would have done it? That was a really powerful moment, Oh, my though. God. Oh, my God. Like, when she was choking him, I was like, buddy, I feel you. Like, I- Literally. <laughs> like Choking him out. And, like also shout out to chiaki once again for expert de-escalation yeah just what a queen <laughs> although i would not suggest slapping your friends to de-escalate a situation i think that that oh, no, 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 very... no, no. i didn't mean that i just i just mean that chiaki in this situation it, like i i feel like that is the only thing that would have gotten akane to snap out of it like knowing akane like knowing her like i feel like that is what needed to be done <laughs> to second that i think that there comes a point sometimes with people where they are just so hysterical with an emotion that they need something physical to snap them out of it like people were like akane no what are you doing brother stop (laughs) stop but like that chiaki said we need to physically intervene here yeah and she didn't hurt her badly like she didn't like punch her like you know it was just like a wake-up call i guess there was like i think i saw it on twitter but there was like a slap compilation from tongue and rumpa like all the times yes. characters have been slapped and it was incredible it was so funny because <laughs> we have biakia in chapter four of game one your beauty is beyond compare with golden locks and skin so getting a little slap on the face and now akane 
and who knows who else ha 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 no spoilers <laughs> yeah. I also this is in the same scene I just had to bring it up there's a sec the second Avril Lavigne reference of the game happens in this scene if you talk to Kazuichi before go, talking to Nagito again or whatever Kazuichi says why do you have to go and make things so complicated <laughs> and I god oh my god just Avril Lavigne Avril Lavigne <laughs> So my, my next note is when we're at the engine of the, the truck. So we kind of go through all the rundown of all the things like, okay, can we drive the truck away? No, we cannot drive the truck away. Can we do all the things? No, there's not an answer. There are no answers. And we see here, as I had mentioned earlier, uh, the four styles of processing trauma. We have fight, Kane, queen, queen. Freeze. I would say it's Kazuichi because he's like, we're all gonna die. <laughs> he just gives up. He's like, what a king. Um, not at all. And then you know, those were really the only two that stood out to me. The other two don't matter as much, but I really thought that Akane and Kazuichi m- mirrored like the extremes of the two the spectrum there. Yeah. My note about this scene. Okay, so in this moment, when Nagito's video, like, video Nagito is saying, like, ooh, the only way to, like, stop the bombs is, like, swipe a handbook, but it has to be the traitor's handbook, blah, blah, blah. And then everyone starts arguing, like, oh, is the traitor going to come forward now? Chiaki says, oh, it's really stupid to be arguing about this. And she walks up and swipes her handbook. And to me, when I was playing this game, immediately I was like, oh, Chiaki's the traitor. Oh, my goodness. But then after, when it doesn't work, everyone's like, oh, guess she's not the traitor and just moves on like literally I, I was still sitting here like no 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 I think that was the cue I think Chiaki's the traitor I think she was trying to hint at something like maybe she can't tell them anything but she was trying to communicate something is is mm. what I got but like why didn't anyone ask like Chiaki why are you doing that nobody like everyone just accepted they were like oh Chiaki's not the traitor because it didn't work well, after she goes, okay, we tried mine. Who's next? Like that, she said she covers it up pretty well. I mean, I knew she was. I I actually predicted that from like many moons before this. Actually, okay, okay, <laughs> that's my superpower, and it's rough. She also during the trial with Monami, they imply that Monami told her that the bombs were fake, so she had no concerns swiping her card like that is a big point in the trial is that monami said the bombs were fake so she didn't swipe her card because she was trying to stop it yes she swiped her card because she knew that it didn't matter and so like i personally think that yes i mean same maddie when i played i was like uh, well when i played i was like no please no (laughs) but (laughs) but like for them i think they the way that the kids saw it was like, oh, she's just trying to get it to stop. Like, who's next? Like Caroline said. And like the fact that she purposefully swiped it, even though she knew it. You know what? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Like she thought that that would help prevent people from thinking that it was her, even though we as the watchers were like, mm, but I, I don't know though. They saw it differently. I feel like, I don't know, because I, I, to me, I feel like that was her trying to communicate something to them. That's just how. I saw it because like after she does that um, and it doesn't work and, and they're like, Oh, I guess it didn't work. Guess she's not the traitor. Someone, I think it might be Kazuichi says, why did you do that? Chiaki? Like, 
if you didn't know it was going to work, like that could have set off the bombs. Like that was really dangerous. And she says something like, oh, I wasn't worried about that. Or like, she said it didn't. <laughs> but it didn't. Like, wow. <laughs> oh my God. It's weird. But I don't, Literally. I, I think that she, I think that the, her purpose for doing that was to show them something. I don't think it had, like, I think because she knew the bombs were fake, it was like, why bother swiping otherwise? I really didn't trust Kazuichi either. Like, I think the small oh, this fragment whole... of me that was like, maybe it's not Chiaki was like, I hope that it's him because she swipes her card. Everyone's like, wow, it's not Chiaki. And he's like, no one else swiped their card. And I was like, <laughs> the whole look- trial, he's like ready yeah. to yeet out of there. Yes. Like, like, I was like, oh. try and look more suspicious. Yeah. I dare you. That was sad because he looks so suspicious. I knew it wasn't him. And I was like, yeah. yeah. Um, so my next note is a massive irony that I found that I just thought was interesting. Um, after the fireworks go off and Nagito is like, hey, everybody come meet me in the warehouse or, or just like go to the warehouse or whatever. I don't know. Um, Akane is like, I'm going to punch the crap out of him. And then Kazuichi is like, I'm going to beat his head in with a wrench. And then Fuyuhiko is like, no, you're not because I'm the one who's going to kill him. And then sweet angel Chiaki is like, we really shouldn't be talking like that, guys. Like, let's all stay calm. Okay. Like, and then of all people, she is the one to have killed him. Like, it's yeah. just crazy. Oh, my God. Like, just the irony of that. I was like, wow. And today, like, if you watch any, like, cop TV shows, NCIS, that type, um, saying things like that is very detrimental to your case. If you are a suspect in something and you say, I would like to kill this person, that is is evidence, strong evidence that they use against you. And so all these people are like so careless with their remarks. I was like, wow, like you guys not maybe the brightest in a murder game. Although I guess the rules are different. We already talked about that, you know, saying you want to do something doesn't mean anything here. So yeah. Yeah. So I will be able to talk more about this song next chapter, but I did want to comment on, there is a very thematic similarity to this moment with the moment um there's an episode of Buffy and I won't say more than that but there's a very similar moment where a character passes away in a room and when the the character who finds the other character finds them there is a hymnal playing and it's very dramatic and it's like a big overture into the grand reveal of something that basically means that the universe will never be the same after this moment which is true at the end of the chapter i don't know what's going on with this world but <laughs> it's not yeah. hard yeah um yeah. so i thought that was kind of an interesting connection yeah going off of that i actually have some more notes about the song its title this is from the reddit user sphinx so props to you but the hymnal playing is called it can sing and is emptiness joy um and then someone translated it yeah that title is a little funky grammar wise but um someone translated some parts of it because there are words later on in it. There is the word zetsubao, which means despair in Japanese. There is a part that says, please bring back the, and then a little after that, someone says hollow victory. And it's very interesting because I think that you could say that Nagito's thing here is a little bit of a hollow victory. I don't know. I mean, maybe we'll get into that a little bit later, but the fact that they chose not only a hymnal that, like Caroline said, really 
changed the mood dramatically shifted it and like told us about what was going to happen but you know they found one that that had some themes that fit with the Danganronpa franchise when I found um I think what I found for the song title for this one was it was called let us sing of a hollow victory that's what I found too. yeah okay so interesting yeah it's like and it's that's what it sounds like it's like singing but it's really creepy and sad so Kazuichi in classic cinema, you know, the trope of like, it's not like it's just going to rain and then, it, you know, sprinklers <laughs> come on. And then Sonia says that um, when the sprinklers come on, it's like a, quote, teru teru bozu. And I have two notes. One, teru teru. <laughs> <laughs> two, I did some research and those are little cloth dolls that are hung up by farmers to prevent rain from coming so i thought that was kind of interesting that sonia <laughs> said hmm the opposite of that but also i think it could have been like a moment where maybe there was like a, a cultural barrier and she might have misunderstood something that she'd read yeah. in her 30 languages you know we all make mistakes <laughs> <laughs> when i speak 30 languages i may i mess up sometimes <laughs> even i mess up all right. So the body. The body. <laughs> yeah. Literally the most gruesome death in Danganronpa so far, I would say. I mean, like, just, oh my God. I, when I, when we find him, like, I was so shook. I, my jaw dropped literally when we, when we found him. And, um, and the camera work here too. It's, it's like insane. It like pans down the length of the spear and like, then you see it sticking out of his stomach and you realize who, it is because you see the pattern on his shirt and then it pans down to like his ankle his ankle like tied up and then his his like his thigh and his thigh like with all the stab wounds in him and then it pans up to like his hand with the knife through it and then the arm that's tied up and then on his to his face with like the duct tape and then it zooms out and you see him and it's just like oh my god very very gruesome and he and also he i don't think is this the first no, I don't actually think this is the first time this happens, but he is found dead with his eyes open, which is also, I think, like significantly more disturbing and hard to look at. I counted 26 stab wounds. Oh my God. Oh my God. Marin's autopsy, everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, they just said like multiple stab wounds and I was like, there are a lot, like, let's take note. And I might be wrong. I might've missed some, but um oh my god yeah literally like and when we find out later he did it all to himself the state of this body was the biggest hint to me that it could literally have been no one left i was like there is no one in this group who would do this and it gets to the point when you know there's six people left and i'm like yeah no man like one like kane not crafty enough fuhiko had a character arc so he's staying and Kazuichi gets afraid of everything he would never you know what I mean and so I kind of just had a moment of like this is like similarly to chapter five of the first game where I said there is no one here who who could have done this Mm -hmm. you know I think they could have played it off as the traitor doing it because you know like you're right we look at this cast of characters and we're like no one could have done this but I think Danganronpa plays us all the time and it's like, oh, you thought that no one could do it? Ha ha ha, here comes Sonia. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like Mekon, who who would have thought that well, she could kill two people? But 
obviously there are excuses for that, which I hate, but there are, <laughs> there's reasoning behind that that is external. True, but there could have been this time. I was going to say, unless yeah. something in the evidence was discovered that exactly. was brought up. That, but yeah. this was... I feel yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, it was gruesome. Maddie, I think you're right. This is the only case that we've seen in Danganronpa so far where the fatal wound is not really the only wound um, or that the other wounds were unintentional. So like for Nekomaru, sure, his legs fell off. Well, that wasn't intentional. The, the, intent, the intent was to kill him by hitting him on the head, you know? And so like, this is the only one where we see external wounds that look like Fuyuhiko brings up like torture. It yeah. looks like torture wounds. I, I will say one thing when I found his body is that I, similarly to Caroline, also did not for any any period of time believe that it was one of the six other students I was like Nagito did this to himself like he I was convinced like the whole time I was like this is all Nagito it's got to be because no one else would do this yeah so what I thought is that so in chapter four at the end we talked to Monokuma about how he's waiting for someone and I thought it might have been oh, this new oh. mysterious person. But I mean, we find out it's Chiaki, you know. Well, we find out that the stab wounds are Nagito and that Chiaki is the killer. But like this mysterious person that keeps getting brought up, I that is who I was like, is this like, who are they and why are they sick? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and Maddie, now I hear you. I do think he feels pain because he used the duct tape. And as Chiaki said, like yeah. there were crinkles. Oh, stop him so screaming. from screaming. God. I was going to talk about in the Monokuma file, it says that Nagito's time of death is noon sharp, which is the time that he said the bomb would go off. And so I had the thought of, is Nagito the metaphorical bomb? Literally, because his death destroys everyone else. Wow. Like it, it is destructive and the identity of the traitor will inevitably be discovered because of this explosion i love that yeah wow yeah, yeah. that was a little i will also say just like another little small note i had that i just threw in there that was like the first time i played this game i don't know if i really like grieved for nagito i would say like i, I was just kind of like a shock and then i was like oh we got to figure out what happened blah 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 but like going back and replaying it I'm like sad like I knew what was coming and I was like sad about it <laughs> like I actually like this uh, emotionally this trial got to me more the second time around agreed actually I, I, but I'm not with Nagito but with Chiaki oh for me it's both yeah. literally both of them I'm like oh god okay yeah I felt pretty sad the first time through for both so I don't think it really increased but I think it's just so sad to watch someone with so much potential treat themselves so poorly. You know, like every time yeah. I play through this game, I watch Nagito and just think about how cool he is and how interesting. And like, um, yeah, it just it makes me sad to see someone so cool just, you know, kind of fade away of their own volition. So when we're like talking i think it's sonia says like no he can't be dead and monokuma walks up to him and goes no response he's dead jim and that is a reference to star trek yeah um there is a character in star trek i went and watched a compilation video and this guy says he's dead jim like 40 times he's literally like jim, he's dead 
he's dead, Jim. He's he's really dead, Jim. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Like, I love it. So to all the, the Star Trek fans out there, um, Dorothy Fawn looking at you. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had one more note and it's about the spear. Okay, so we're all going to say our spear notes. Okay, so... Norse mythology for the second time in a row in chapter five. <laughs> Spear of Gungnir. 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 And my note about it is that in Trigger Happy Havoc, right before Monokuma slash Junko kills Mukuro, who is in disguise, Monokuma says, um, I, I can't remember exactly what he says, Monokuma calls upon his spears of Gungnir, and then Mukuro gets speared. So I have some, some history. I have some facts, some more facts, some history you want me to share. Um, ultimate literary girl. Guys, this is a rare moment because sometimes there are no literary references and a whole episode goes by and I'm like, my I didn't have my time to shine, you know? <laughs> we're, we're giving it, girl. Hit it. All right. So let's talk about the Spear of Gungnir. Let's. Let's do it. Well, Gungnir comes from a Greek word that means swaying. Fun facts. Um, it is associated associated with Odin, who is the Norse god of war and death. So this is the second chapter five in a row that we've had Norse mythology referenced, which I think is very interesting. And I'm curious to see if it comes up again in V3. We will see. I don't know. And according to legend, the spear was carved with runes, which means its tip was wielded with magic, which I thought was really cool. And the spear is specifically known for its role in human sacrifices. And Odin himself, who wields the spear... Um, when he was living on earth before he became a god, is said to have sacrificed himself by stabbing himself and hanging himself to do so. So there's obvious parallels there to Nagato and how he dies. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I just thought it was cool. Cool, cool beans. I have one note additionally on top of that, um, which is that Odin was considered to be a very chaotic god. I mean, literally the god of war and death, you know, but he was known throughout his life for searching for prestige, talent, one might say. You know. um, and he was thought of as a trickster. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. I think there, I think there might be some parallels there. I don't know. I couldn't really find them, but maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah for sure just another small parallel between this and chapter five of trigger happy havoc is the survival knife too Mm -hmm. that's stabbed into his hand um because the survival knife was also like um found on the wounded body of mukro but it wasn't the murder weapon which was interesting true and on mukro's body there were the day old wounds to kind that were masked to like determine the real cause of death and um that's pretty similar to nagito stabbing himself 26 plus times to hide potentially the cause of death i actually want to talk about that a little bit later yeah but yeah with the poison blood blotches blood bruises wait there's a word blotches all right everybody we're gonna take a quick break but before we do we want to know is this your favorite Danganronpa case? Let us know by leaving us a voicemail at anchor.fm along with any questions you have to be included in our season finale. Also, feel free to follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. We're Ultra Hope Girls Podcast pretty much everywhere. And if you enjoy what you're listening to today, make sure you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to show your support and we appreciate you all leaving your comments and your reviews. And with that, we'll be back right after the break.
So when we find Nagito's body, something that Hajime said almost made me cry, actually. And he said, everything good and bad about him is gone. We'll never be confused by him again. We'll never be saved by him again. And that was so sad. It, I think that that to me was some of the realest grief I've seen from a character in this game. Yes. Because like, I mean, that to me was like a eulogy. It really crushed me to hear that. I was like, wow. Um, and I know a lot of people ship Hajime and Nagito. And I think that this was one of the more touching comments from Hajime about Nagito that we get to see. Because I think most of that ship is the other way. Um, yeah. So the other thing we learned during investigation is that Nagito was hiding a bomb and poison on him during the class trial. <laughs> He's such a king. How is he real? But also, yeah. like, I believe it. You know, like, he, I do. 100%. Like, what? this man is insane. He's crazy. And oh, no wonder he felt so powerful during the last trial. Literally. <laughs> He's like, I could kill you all right now. <laughs> Yeah, he is wild. What a man. All right, guys, it's time for the big reveal. Our fake grief can now be outed. (laughs) (laughs) We were not sad when Tugami died. Tugami is not Togami. Yeah. Really bad for that guy, too, though. I mean, this whole chapter is just like sad, 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 sad. sad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's got to be just a very lonely existence to not have an identity it's like he is the extreme whereas the ultimates are the other extreme where it's like they're bound to one thing but the imposter could be anything and then hajime is out here like middle of the road like he has things he could ground himself to he has a name he has a place that he lives and has like like a school and friends Whereas the imposter is, it's like the worst case of like maybe Hajime's worst fear literally represented in a human being. Yes. yes. And that actually made me just think of something. And this wasn't a note I had written down, but you just reminded me of this is um, a moment when I think it's like the last morning before like the timer stops when Hajime wakes up and says that he wakes up with this strange, like sudden panic and this fear that everyone around him has disappeared and that he's completely alone and has been completely abandoned and that is like so scary that's actually like a nightmare that I've had about like waking up randomly and like you're the last person in the world like yeah I think that is scary and I think that is a fear of Hajime's and I think it comes out then because and also it's um it's even more impactful now that so many people have died that he's like oh my goodness there are so many people gone our numbers are dwindling like we are shrinking who's going to be next blah blah or I guess maybe they don't think anyone's going to be next because they don't know what's going to happen after the timer stops but it's this like very very visceral fear of being left behind and also for Tugami, um, Caroline, you said that like he could be anything and Hajime like has all the choices and the kids have one. I would argue that Tugami has nothing um, because no matter what he pretends to be, it's not his. And so it's really the spectrum. You're totally right. Also, I want to comment. And this is just a general note about the case in this trial in general. Um, I think that this case and trial is one of the most loved in the series for a great reason, which is that they give you 
I think this might be one of the only times in the entire series that this happens. They give you the perfect amount of information so that it's fun to solve, but they're not like spoon feeding it to you. And they're not like waiting until the trial to like roll up with an extra fact. Like they don't pull that in this Mm -hmm. one. Everything is there. Agreed. There's very little that shows up in the trial that wasn't there before. True. Oh man. So good. So this case is so good. So good. And my first note about the trial actually is just showering some praise on the things I love about this case. (laughs) Are we ready? (laughs) Oh, let's shower the praise. Or not. No, okay. I just, God, I love this trial. I just thought it was incredible. Like I felt on edge the whole time. And something else that I loved about this trial was that the whole time Hajime is expressing that he has this feeling that something's not quite right. Or that like, they, they feel like they have the answers, but something's wrong. Like they're still not seeing something, but he can't quite put his finger on what it is. Like Hajime is expressing that. And you as the player, at least me as the player, I feel like also have that exact same feeling. Like you're given this feeling that like, wait, okay, I, I think I understand it. Oh, wait, wait, no, we're only like 30 minutes into the trial and we've already figured it out. Something's not right here. Like we're missing something and it, you, but you can't put your finger on what's not right but you know that there's something wrong and I just I thought that was so well done and very well executed no pun intended but like (laughs) and I agree with you Caroline that it gives you just enough information like I remember playing this trial for the first time and I wanted so badly to figure it out on my own before they told me the answer so I think I was like I don't remember where I was in the trial I took a break at some point like maybe right after they brought up the poison as a possible cause of death, I took a break and I was like, I want to figure this out. I want to, I want to figure out what's going on here. And then I was taking a walk and it hit me. Like it literally hit me. I was like, oh my God, he put poison in the fire grenades and made us throw them and made, oh, what? And I like, I texted Caroline. I was like, oh my God, Caroline, like the fire grenades. (laughs) But it was like this moment, like when I made that realization, my stomach dropped. It was like, I was like, oh, oh my god that's what he did and then it was like oh shoot like we're screwed if that's the truth and that's exactly the reaction that Hajime has in this trial I think like at one point Akane says something about the fire grenades and Hajime just like suddenly kind of goes like (gasps) like he just gasps and you can see the light bulb go off and you're like yes that's that's what it is and you're oh my god like literally I I I will stop now but wow (laughs) wow i was hajime i am hajime you are i mean yeah Yeah. that whole trial it was like in sync like just i i thought they did a very good job of making you feel like you were right there with the protagonist feeling everything that they were feeling thinking everything that hajime was thinking i just yeah i have a quick pre-trial note (laughs) (laughs) me i started going off a tangent there i was like oh my god this case is so good no but Um, the elevator ride you if you watch the elevator ride the six who are there they're very close they're in a little triangle and in the trigger happy havoc case in chapter five they are as far spread out as they could possibly be i could only find the chapter four one so i'll make sure and and check on that um for fifth but yeah it's very interesting i think it's a commentary on the relationships maybe in the game because i mean every everyone knows that i'm a huge trigger happy havoc fan i mean literally um and i think that the relationships they form there are 
very strong and sometimes I would argue stronger than the ones in here. However, think about how they go into the chapter five case in game one and in game two. In game one, it's like, well, it could only be Makoto or Kyoko because they weren't there, right? So we hate everyone. And, you know, in chapter six, we've seen all these pictures. We we can't trust anyone. So we're going to spread apart. And in this one, it's like, no one has alibis. Like, we don't know what's going on. There's a traitor. And yet they're still clumped. It's it's like very different takes on a very similar scenario. I agree. And I would... I would argue that Chiaki is the reason that they're working together in that way. Yeah. Wait, he said, I think that isn't Chiaki the one at the center of the triangle? I think she's on the very outside. If I remember correctly, she's like on a little. Oh, I, I was just going to say, ooh, it's symbolism, but maybe I'm wrong about that. But I agree with that. I think Chiaki, like I said, very much the glue holding this group together. And it remains to be seen whether that, that the group will stay together after Chiaki's gone. Maddie, you brought up a point earlier that was about how, you know, like like this whole thing with weeding out the traitor and all that stuff. And I made a connection between Russian roulette that Nagito plays in chapter four and quite literally Russian roulette with people that is being played in this trial because yes. there's six members of the people left and he is trying to get the one bullet. And now he's playing with the correct rules. Because there's not five bullets in the gun. There's only one bullet in the gun. True. And none of them are willing to play. Nope. And he is yet again. And they have no choice but to be part of of it. Yeah. Oof. Very very beginning of this trial. Seeing Gundam's face X'd out on the panel. That hurted. My name is Gundam Tanaka. Remember it well. So uh, Monami is acting very differently than she normally does in this chapter. And I have to be real, her kind of like aggression and I'm going to fight Monokuma, like I'm going to take him down. I didn't really feel it. I have to be honest. I I didn't feel the sacrifice that she was trying to convey. I don't know if that was like something you guys felt or didn't feel I guess as well it was just it was a little weak it was like okay so I see that Chiaki is fighting and these kids are really tired so I'm going to blow up Monokuma twice accomplish nothing and then give up I mean that's a very like rude I don't know like simplified way of putting it yes Monami is a very like not aggressive character so for her that was a big change I see that it just felt a little weak compared to Chiaki's sacrifice I mean Chiaki literally could have gotten away scot-free granted it wasn't like she was trying to murder him but she could have literally gotten away with it and she guided everyone to the fact that it was her so her sacrifice to me was like holy cow I mean I cried about it and Monami was like I'm gonna give up after trying to fight you twice and it was like (laughs) I don't know I didn't feel it well I think there was also a hopelessness though because there's infinite Monokumas left and it's just like she gives up because there's no way and she's going to be sacrificed anyway with Chiaki and so she was like all right true it reminds me a little bit there's a story in the bible bible trivia where uh, this one beggar gives away her last coin to the offering and she ends up 
going to heaven basically because she was willing to give up everything to kind of further her faith and that to me is a little bit kind of like monami isn't willing to give up everything you know monami was willing to give up two out of ten of her lives and then call it a day you know and it's not really her own volition at the end that she's executed she has to go off with Chiaki and so I don't know I think that might be a little bit of why but I'm not trying to belittle her character at all Monami I know there are a lot of Monami fans out there and like I didn't dislike Monami at all but yeah to to sort of find a counterpoint as to why she may have been trying to like hold off from being killed is if Chiaki is going to be executed there's only one other person left who is from the True. future foundation and so she might have been just trying to preserve that's that role in in their community yeah that's super true yeah and uh, she and chiaki talk about things they're allowed to do and not allowed to do during this case and so you know maybe she's getting direct orders from someone so you're absolutely right absolutely um yeah. monokuma says to her at one point you've ascended the ladder of adulthood and reached the moon because you're a rabbit and that kind of reminded me of the book good night moon did you guys ever read that? It's <laughs> yeah. A yeah. Book. yeah, where the rabbit's like, good night, dresser, good night, rug. Um, and that book is kind of, I mean, it's not a super deep reference, but that book is symbolic because an adult wrote, uh, wrote it. And it's kind of how, you know, children, when they're going to sleep, they see all these things and their their imagination is wild. But like, as a grown up, you lose that imagination a little bit, or maybe like the desire to imagine that way and it's kind of interesting that Mo monokuma says that to monami because monami's personality is very much like la 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 i'm magical miracle girl you know and then she becomes very serious the only other time we've seen her this serious is when she says nagito you scare me yeah in chapter four so yeah i just thought that was a kind of a cool reference there i have a lot of notes actually and so one note is literally just there are so many sexual innuendos in this chapter. Holy God. Yes. That's one note. Um, I also have, so Nagito in the chapter, and I forget who says it, is said to have delusions of grandeur. But I would argue that he doesn't. Because the definition of someone who has delusions of grandeur is that they have a false belief in their own skills or greatness. And his skills have worked every time. He's needed them. So there are in, in that by that definition, there are no delusions of grandeur. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So Sonia at one point says, you would die instantly from the spear wound. And I wanted to throttle my computer. This whole instant <laughs> death. <laughs> if, Marin so had a, if Marin had a nickel every time a character <laughs> in this game <laughs> I would have 15 cents <laughs> it was so frustrating I was like you guys don't even know what you're talking about oh gosh oh my yeah I this isn't really a note I had but it's just something that I again I don't know if you guys or maybe Marin has any thoughts on this but I was like I started going off on like a tangent trying to do research on this because I was like, they started talking about the qualities of the poison and I was like, Ooh, chemistry. And then, so I tried to do research and I was trying to figure out what the poison could have been, mm. but I could not, I could not figure it out. I was like, okay, it's a low volatility 
highly toxic poison that's liquid form, but it can be turned into a gas if it's hot enough and it's denser than air, but it's subject to hydrolysis, blah, 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 all these things. I tried to find something that fit the descriptions and I couldn't. Honestly, I don't know a lot about poison, so I I don't know if I can comment, but like, I don't think it's real. It's Monokuma's magic poison, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's... That's exactly what I was going to say. I was just going to be like, the, it's a poison that doesn't exist. It's a poison in this for world. Cusco. Cusco's poison. <laughs> okay. I have a note that literally just said a refrigerator for the poison. For Cusco's <laughs> poison. <laughs> I have a little note about mysteries that are unsolvable. And I thought this was an interesting discussion topic for this case because often mysteries that are, quote, unsolvable are on the basis of faith or religion, or one's beliefs, which is really cool. Um, I Because it's argued like, oh, okay, like the mystery of God, the mysteries of everything. Like in my church, when I was growing up, they would say like, let us confess to the mysteries of faith or something like that. That was like one of the prayers we said, like that there are things that humans can't know. And this is, a you know, um, and I thought it was neat because belief is a huge theme in this chapter. Belief in Nagito's luck, belief in each other, belief in Chiaki, and um, the characters have no choice but to turn their back on evidence and believe in something that defies logic. And I think that's kind of amazing. Like, it's very, like, spiritual in a lot of ways, which I thought was kind of cool. I'm taking an afterlife class right now, which I said <laughs> in literally every, every chapter of Alice's episode thus far. <laughs> and I, like, and it, like, it's on my mind, man. Like, religion and belief. It's, yeah. Anyway. I thought you meant that mysteries in general, like as in cold cases, like unsolved mysteries (laughs) as in cold cases. And I was like, they have to do with like spirituality. I was like, what? I've never heard that. Nope. No, it's like the mysteries of being alive in the universe that we all try to figure out through usually spirituality or religion. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then Nagito towards the end, we, we see in his video at the very end of this chapter, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but how he's, he has this very twisted kind of like, like he literally says like, praise me, like erect a bronze statue of me. Like, just like call me the ultimate hope. Like, please worship me. Like he is asking people to worship him, but kind of in like a twisted way. And there's so much, I I believe to my understanding about like in like Christianity and in the Bible and stuff about the importance of humility, um, which I don't think Nagito really shows here. (laughs) Okay, so here is my thing about that I just cannot get over about this trial. And I just, I will never, ever, like, be okay with how it was determined to be fair. Or I'll just say, how is it fair at all for Chiaki to have been found guilty here? Because, like, Nagito had the murderous intent, I mean, toward himself, but, like, his goal was to get everyone but the traitor killed, so, like, Nagito had the murderous intent. Nagito planned out the whole thing, set it up, put the poison in the fire grenade, set the fire, did everything. Just I, He orchestrated the entire situation and Chiaki just happened to take that one small final action that drilled the nail into the coffin there, I guess. And that it, it just, to me, that doesn't add up because like Monokuma has said before, that if there isn't a murder, that, uh, there if there's a murder that happens, and there's an accomplice, and there's any kind of ambiguity in who is actually the murderer, who actually killed the person, that 
the culpability would fall on the mastermind behind the plan. And that's Nagito. I mean, he's the one who did it. And like, you know, considering that Shiaki didn't even know what she was doing. And also, we talked about this a little bit in chapter four about how like, we weren't 100% certain whether it's really Gundam's like Gundam's fault I mean it, it Gundam is the one who set it up but like we were like could Gundam have gotten away with it on the grounds that it was Nekomaru's final action that killed him because it was Nekomaru yeah. who started like struggling when he was hanging by the rope and then he fell and hit his head even though Gundam was the mastermind behind that plan but because Gundam is the one with the idea Gundam set the pieces in motion Gundam was executed for it even though he didn't take that final action it was actually Nekomaru's actions that dealt the final death blow and like this is just like a double standard like Monokuma come on like Nagito did this and then Chiaki is executed for it and it was like just oh man like I like Nagito has in my eyes 100% responsibility here and it's just like oh man I have a note that directly responds to that, actually. And I, so I was thinking, bouncing off, backflipping and triple somersaulting <laughs> off of what Maddie just said. Um, I was thinking about the U.S. judiciary system a little bit. And I was kind of wondering, hypothetically, if we were in the United States trying to try, you know, Nagito Chiaki for what happened, I was wondering what would be the case. So, and this is hypothetically in a situation where there were somehow evidence that Chiaki threw the bomb or the bomb the you know fire grenade that killed Nagito so like let's say that is fact there's evidence that she's the one who threw it not knowing it was full of whatever you know I don't know like I don't actually know would she be punished for that because she technically like killed him unknowingly or would it be ruled as an accident I think she would not now, if she knew that one of the bottles had poison and threw it, but was trying to put out the fire, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's hard to say, but also, so when, if you see someone like on the side of the road who's um, passed out, like they're not breathing, there's no pulse, and you perform CPR, sometimes with CPR, when you do it, actually pretty much every time, your ribs fracture, and sometimes they can fracture into your heart, and that can kill people. But there is a law in place called the Good Samaritan Law, which is that if you are trained in CPR, then you will have legal protection if you are trying to do the right thing. If your actions caused their death by doing that, then you won't get like prosecuted huh. by the law for that because you're trying to do good. I, I mean, it's, it's especially interesting if you consider the fact that was Chiaki and was everyone in their minds trying to help because did they think oh my god like the building's on fire and Nagito is trapped we need to save Nagito by putting out the fire and in doing and putting out the fire they end up killing him so that's kind of kind of interesting that the irony there as well but I will say actually when I was first playing this game I thought that Nagito in hindsight this clearly wasn't really feasible but I thought that Nagito had put poison in each one of the fire grenades so that we all killed him and it was I was about to be like I was so shook because it was like ultimate <laughs> ultimate despair no I was because I was like what would have happened I mean in that kind of situation 
it would have been we would all have been his murderers and would we all have gotten executed for it and there would have been nothing we could do about it that's really interesting Hmm. i think monokuma might not have allowed that yeah because monokuma mentions a couple times in throughout like this chapter that he knows everything going on on the island yeah everything right and so he would have known that and i think yeah i think he probably would have stopped that but it's hard to say i mean sometimes he's like do whatever as long as it's murder (laughs) and it's like oh yeah. (laughs) yeah um also kind of talking about the culpability going back to that a little bit why isn't akane guilty because akane kicks down the door which starts the fire yeah yeah so Akane's the one that pretty much forces them to get the grenades. I mean, yes, you could say they could have left the fire, but they thought their friend was in there. So what if Nagito had burned alive? Would that be all of their faults for not putting out the fire? Like, yeah. I think there's a lot of question there. And I agree, Maddie, there is an absolute double standard here because Nakamaru did the final action and yeah. he wasn't punished. And here, you know, like, uh, yeah, I had a really hard time with that because like I think that's something that like as a player you just kind of have to recognize that Monokuma doesn't care yep you know like I mean in the first game the rules really mattered but in this one it seems like they matter less yeah it's I might argue whatever can get Monokuma his execution that he wants because you know if Nekomaru was declared to you know, if Nekomaru's death and Nagito's deaths were both declared suicides, there wouldn't have been anyone to execute. So Right. We don't have yeah. any alter egos to take <laughs> to <laughs> smash into oh, pieces God. on a computer. Okay, so I just have a small note about just a moment that made my heart shatter into a million pieces. Um, and Marin, I know you will relate to me on this. Caroline. I'm not a I'm heartless so heathen, sure. Maddie. <laughs> I mean, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But when you when you have to select who the traitor is and you have to click Chiaki and like, oh, and Chiaki is out here saying like, like Hajime, like, I want you to, to prove it. Like you can do it. Like blah, blah, blah. Prove that I'm the traitor. And Hajime responds, don't you understand? You may as well be asking me to kill you. And oh my, oh, I know. I know. I just, that, quote oh my god it that just ripped my heart into a million pieces catch me ugly crying in the corner just sobbing while i was playing that part it's just oh my god the raw emotion from hajime i just want to say the acting in this moment shout out to johnny young bosh and christine cabanos (laughs) cabanos because they killed me their acting is so good here and the fact that they only get the lines and they don't know the context for the scene whoo shout out to those cold reads man and the writing here too going off of the exact point that maddie was saying when you have to do the character selection normally when you pick someone you say it can only be you and it didn't happen it was silent it was so quiet it hurt and then later when you're proving that Chiaki did it, you don't say, no, that's wrong. You don't say that. It's quiet. It's silent because it's it's grief and it is horrible. I was like, oh, I mean, that silence is painful. And it's a common use in like film and TV when someone is about to die or someone has died that the episode, there's no music, there's silence. And it 
Oh, man. Okay. This is a rare moment for me because for those of you who are fans of the podcast, who listen to every episode, probably know that I am a musical theater major and that does not come out very much in these episodes, I don't think, with like my knowledge, but changing the tune a little bit today, pun not intended. Is that a pun? I don't even know. I need to go <laughs> to bed. Okay. So, okay. So Sonia at the end of the trial says something like, oh, like how did it come to this? And she is just like, I mean, breaking down, like totally just, they're all broken. But Sonia, for some reason, really hit me because she's always been very like level-headed in these situations. And this is her moment here. So this reminded me of a musical and there's a song at the very end. So, okay. There are two musicals called The Wild Party, both based on the same poem, um, and they're written by two different musical writers, but I'm going to be referencing Andrew Lippa's Wild Party for anyone who's out there who is like, oh, I know what you're talking about. Based on the 1929 poem by the same name, at the end of the story, there's a song called How Did It Come to This that a character named Queenie sings um, after something very traumatic has happened. And because of the very heavy and sensitive themes that arise at the end of this play. I will not go into too much detail, but what I will say is, so the the place around a wild party where a lot of crazy stuff happens and it's supposed to be so much fun. It's going to be like this crazy party and everyone's going to have a great time. Um, and Queenie, who ends up singing the song, falls in love with a man named Black, who she meets that night called Mr. Black. Um, and racism plays a big theme in this musical. And she cheats on her husband. I think husband, I might need to like look that up, but husband, boyfriend, um, Burrs with this man. And at the end of the play, Burrs goes basically with a gun in the bedroom to kill both of them. Um, And Black wrestles him and then Burrs ends up shooting himself and dying. Um, And knowing, knowing Black's place in society and knowing that he will be executed for this crime, she tells him to leave. And then she's left alone with the body of her boyfriend or husband and sings this song um and it kind of just it reminded me the adaptation and the ending is different depending on the version that you read or that you watch um of the musical but it reminded me a lot of how chiaki knowing she's the traitor chooses to come forward to save the people that she cares about and that musical theater it it struck me the moment when chiaki during the execution grabbed monami's hand and like tried to run with her Mm. that moment kind of struck me because in a way I was like oh part of me was kind of thinking like does Chiaki not really care that she's about to get executed or like is she just not afraid or like she I don't know but you know and then I'm like oh well maybe she just is totally has totally accepted it It it's like you know but then in the moment when she grabs Monami's hand and takes her and tries to run I think that kind of broke a little bit for me. I was like, oh, like she actually did try to get away kind of. And maybe she wasn't fully to a place of acceptance with it. So I was kind of like, oh, but my next note, a total <laughs> mood shift. Um, But okay. Monokuma says something about like, now that there's five of you, blah, blah, blah. Like, and, and you know, for some reason, Monokuma needs five people. And then Akane is like, are you planning on making a volleyball team? <laughs> and then Minimaru says, you need six people for a volleyball team, fool. And I just like, that That apparently was one of his like pre-programmed things oh, yeah. to say. Of course. Like he just knew that that was going to come up. He's artificial intelligence. <laughs> There's got to be one in every game. <laughs> <laughs> 
was so funny. I was like, oh, man. So after the trial, we go, we have our depression sesh in our room for like a full day. And then we kind of wake up and the bomb goes off. It's kind of weird what it is. It looks like a little bit of like light in a way in the Jabberwock Park. And then everything is insane. I know. <laughs> it's just weird. Everything's weird. Very weird. Yep. And we get yeah, no answers. Very weird. It just is the way People it is. are coming back. It's snowing. The buildings don't have names. The sky is red. The sea is pink. We're repeating words. There's gibberish. I rushed out of the cottage, desperate to escape that fear. I rushed out of the cottage, desperate to escape that fear. I was like, yeah, it's like the Matrix is (laughs) Yeah. I thought that okay, when when Chiaki pops up, like right after that, as you exit the cottage, I was like, oh. I thought Hajime might have been hallucinating her. Yeah. Like, I thought that he might have reached a point where it was just, like, mentally, like, breakdown. Like, he was hallucinating um, Chiaki because he didn't even seem surprised to see her. Like, he didn't even react in a way that, like, well, you're supposed to be dead. Like, it was just like, oh, hey, Chiaki. And then in the cafeteria, when, like, all these people are, are coming back. Oh, my God. I audibly gasped when Gundam popped up on the screen. Yeah. I was like, oh, but, like... I also kind of like felt a little bittersweet about seeing all the characters like saying their things, even though, you know, they're not actually alive. Like it's almost like the spirits of those other characters are like there, maybe kind of trying to help out the ones who are left. Um, except for Terra Terra, who's just says something perverted. That's like, <laughs> yeah, classic. Um, like, but that, that was like, just wow. <laughs> I mean, there's a small part of me that wonders if they are, you know, like if they came back, because at this point we don't know. Like yeah. the, they're reappearing, and like yes, the world is falling apart, like literally falling apart. But like, I don't know. I think that there's always like that little aspect of hope that your favorite characters, not Terra Terra, are going to return. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and like make a big comeback, Agreed. and the deaths maybe didn't happen. And it's like, oh, like Hajime, you just dreamed all this up, even though that would be so frustrating. <laughs> It's interesting, though, the only person we do not see, the only dead person we don't see make a reappearance is Nagato. Yeah, that's true. He does not make a reappearance. Um, everyone, everyone except Nagito. True, but I think that might be because they watched his laptop thing. Like, wouldn't it yeah, be weird yeah, if true. he was like, all right, guys, let's watch me on a laptop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very fair. <laughs> that's very fair. All right, so my last note is at this point in the game, when post fifth trial, um, when everything's starting to get a little bit weird, I think it's right after you talk to Chiaki and then you're like, oh, I gotta go meet up with everyone in the dining hall. Like everything's normal again. If you go around and click on the cottage doors of the people who have died, you see like this weird kind of glitchy text that shows you what appears to be their final thoughts before they died. And what? Yeah, like please, please look look into it because it's very interesting. Um, and you can, like, there are, there's some interesting stuff there. Um, one that stood out to me. I'm this is the only one I'm gonna bring up. Um, if you guys want to look the rest up yourself, go for it. Um, because it's mind blowing. Um, but 
you want to know what Gundams says? Yes. It's it's like in between like wingdings and like random characters, but like you can see the text in there. It says, "Tremble with fear, I will die twice." Me. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Like, but what does that imply? That Gundam has died before or had some kind of near death experience before, and this is like his second time, or that he is not actually dying when he was dying he was like i'm not actually dying this or and like thinks that he is gonna die for real at some point later like like you said Marin, maybe everyone's still alive it sounds like the perfect thing to say as gundam though like when yeah like you were gundam and you were dying you'd be like i'm gonna die twice (laughs) sorry about it (laughs) like oh i love that i actually really want to hear the other ones do you have them written down i i think i remember some of them like um Biaki actually Tugami his final thought interestingly even though we know he's the imposter his final thoughts are um like it says something about the fate of the Tugami empire so he um, really has no identity that he is in very character. interesting his final thoughts even at the moment of his own. death are in character yeah wow yeah hmm. I'm trying to remember I think Mikon says like forgive me forgive me please forgive me like over and over again and then Hyoko says something about Mahiru. Mahiru says something about wanting to make things right. And then it also says, like, smile, say cheese. Um, oh, that's creepy. Which is kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, and Pekos, I think, says something about, like... Young master. It, I think it says... Yeah, it says young master. Something about that on there. It, it, they're really interesting. So that, that was, like, my last note. It's very interesting. Highly recommend you look it up. But... As the final note of this episode, question mark, it's just some deep truth from Monami, like very unexpected coming from her, I think, like actually bitten yes, the truth, the truth. Um, and just some deep stuff. Uh, I have a quote from her and I, you know, that's just, I want all of our listeners to live by this quote and just really like hear this. Even if people don't acknowledge you, you just have to be someone that you can be proud of. If you can learn to love yourself, that love will continue to support you for the rest of your life. So, listeners, listen to Monami and love yourselves. Yeah. Yay! All right, everybody, we're going to move into bed, wed, behead. So today we are going to be picking between Chiaki, Hajime, and Nagito. So, yeah, that's the vibe. I uh, I think I know my answer and I kind of hate myself for it. No, Monami told me to love myself. <laughs> I am going to wed Hajime, bed Nagito, and behead Chiaki. Wow. I'm going to cry while I do it. So wed Hajime, he's my waifu. Um, bed Nagito, it would be interesting and... He needs to be loved and behead Chiaki because I am more <laughs> interested in Nagito in that way. And I think that Hajime would actually be a better pair for me. Um, but I would platonically, I, I would befriend Chiaki if you'll Aww. allow that for this one. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we could, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah this chapter, we so don't need any more. Cheers, death. my man. <laughs> 
I actually have the same answer as you, Marin. Wow! Yeah, and I also, I don't, like I said, I don't want to be head Chiaki. I'll, I'll be friend Chiaki. But, um, because I love her. But, yeah, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know if, if I would vibe with her in that way, in, like, a romantic kind of sense. But, yeah, I, I would probably wed Hajime. I feel like he, I mean, obviously, he and I have a lot in common. He and I have a lot of similarities but I feel like we're not too similar that it would be like well we're pretty similar but <laughs> I feel like um Hajime's fairly open-minded he's fairly down to earth I think that would work out and Nagito yeah that I once that'd be interesting you know all right so you guys you guys my answer may surprise you um I would wed Chiaki because <laughs> she's cute and honestly gotta be honest with you Put her in B tier during the tier list episode. She's probably moved to A. Yay! Yay! Yeah, my opinion of her has changed a lot. I used to be very like, meh. Some people like to say I hated her. I did not hate her. I thought she was okay. (laughs) I think we have a recording of you saying you hated her on who's most likely, I think. Okay, well, anyway, I <laughs> when we were introduced to her, I said, people love Chiaki and I don't understand because I'm just like, uh. Because she's fine. I don't hate her. Like, Makoto, there's visceral hatred. (laughs) I I feel like I'm so mean to him, but he's such a wholesome, cute bean. Maybe I should not be mean to him. Anyway, um, this is why I think I'm like Biakia sometimes. Okay, so I would marry Chiaki because, honestly, she'd be really cute and, like, get dead for a lifetime. That's cool. Um, And we love whammon. I would bed Nagito because, you know, I kind of know what's going on there. It'll be really fun. It'll be a good time. Um, and then I would behead Hajime. I, I don't dislike Hajime. I think he's a good character. But uh, in this scenario, I think he gets the short end. And, you behead me, Caroline? I think, yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think in this scenario, he gets the short end of the stick. Mm. Me. this was a tough one these they're all it was good. hard i love all of them i would yeah. i could i could honestly see myself in different pairings putting them in any of the other positions so you'd befriend hajime yeah oh my god yeah. hajime and i would be bros you are brothers <gasps> maddie we're bros <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Ultra Hope Girls, a Dog and Rumpa podcast. If you like what you heard today, tell your friends. And if you're able, give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. It really means a lot. It's a really great way to show your support. And if you're interested in hearing more content from us, we have a Patreon where we all do individual episodes on there. And if you can hear more about our Dog and Rumpa content, all on there. Um, we are on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Twitter. We're Ultra Hope Girls Podcast everywhere. You can ask us questions, hit us up on there. And yeah, I think that's it for today, folks. I hope you all have a good day and we will see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.